The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus began his ministry, he was about 30 years of age. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Malchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthias, the son of Semyon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Cosman, the son of Elamadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Janem, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Mena, the son of Mathatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amamadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphax, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lachem, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Malalahil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. I tortured the poor deacon by making him read that long list of names because that long list of names is important for us to hear. However odd the experience can be of listening to someone read the genealogy of the Lord. And we wonder, I've never heard names like that before. We wonder, is that really how you say that name? We wonder, and it sounds so odd, it sounds so different. And that difference is important because it reminds us that as tightly connected as the Lord is to us, there is also something about him that is from elsewhere. And one of the signs of that is the elsewhere of a different culture and a different language. And a listing of names from a family that we only think we know. And this is where we begin. 
because there are several ways of talking about what it means to engage history. And typically, the way we engage something like history, the history of the United States, the history of some other country, the history of the world, is we do it in general, don't we? We study the history of groups of people. And every now and then, we focus on a particular individual whom some scholar has designated as important. And so we have this image of collective movement of peoples, somehow directed by individuals who may or may not be well connected to one another. And that is a completely valid way of studying the history of a people. But there's another way, a way that the scriptures highlight for us today, which is vitally important. Because we can also study the history of the world by looking at a specific family. Note how different that is. Consider your own families. Because oftentimes when we think of our families and we think of our family history, we often make the mistake of being too narrow with that. We remember specific events, specific relationships among our family members. But if we really trace our families across the generations, we're doing something else. We're also given a window into the time in which they lived. And it is one thing to study, for example, the Great Depression from what we read in history books in school about collectively what people experienced. And it's another to know what the members of my family who lived through that time experienced. Note how different that is. It's not that one way is better than the other, but each way has its own particular strength. And so we see here as St. Luke speaks of Jesus, note what he does. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry after being baptized by John. And then he says, but where does this 30-year-old come from? And so he begins tracing the generations. And these are the names of the generations of a single family. And this single family traces its names and its generations back to the very beginning when there was only one family. Note what St. Luke puts in front of us, ending with son of Aseth, son of Adam, son of God. And we come back to that first man given life by God, shaped by the Lord's hand, with the life-giving spirit breathed into him by the Lord. And we know from Adam and from Eve, his wife, the human race came and filled the world. How big, how vast. And oftentimes, when we think of humanity, we speak in terms of very familiar words that are lamentably merely cliches. We speak of the family of nations. 
We speak of the family of mankind. We speak of the human family. And yet we do it in safe generalities, abstracting the fact that we are talking about something concrete. From a single family, at the very beginning, come forth all families. And as we consider the world and the billions of presently alive on it, every single one of those billions has an origin in the past in one, in one family. A family that proceeds not from the activity of man, but from the activity of God. Note what St. Luke is showing us, or better, what the Holy Spirit is showing us by means of St. Luke's writing. Human life comes from the hand of God, and everything that takes place in human history only takes place because God set human history in motion. How remarkably beautiful that is. And all of a sudden, looking at the overwhelming number of men and women, the overwhelming number of cultures, languages, and places, and nations, of ways of life, what do we see? Let's look at one of that innumerable quantity of families. In all of that vastness, let's look at one. And why, that, why one? Because this one, this Jesus, belongs to it. And so the generations are traced generation after generation. And not everyone in the family tree of Jesus is a saint. In fact, it's remarkable the number of truly great sinners one finds in that family tree. It is a history of the holy and it is a history of the wicked. Much like our own families, if we're honest. Our own families have their own history of goodness of love, kindness, and selfishness, and unkindness, and indifference, and violence, and woundedness about them. They are histories of hope and histories of disappointment. And as we read through the list of names connected to David the king and moving backward, we move through the history of Israel we move through the history of expectation, the history of promises that were looked for and expectations that weren't met. We move through the history of kings who were wise and good and kings who were vain, petty, wicked, and evil. We move through all of that and all of a sudden we realize we're not simply looking at a family's history. We're looking at a nation's history. It is the history of a nation given to us, not in general, but in the particularity of a single family. A family that at first glance in Nazareth is not all that different from our own. 
in worldly terms, unimportant. In worldly terms, not powerful, not significant. In worldly terms, ordinary, typical, unremarkable. And yet St. Luke is saying that that's only what the world supposes. Joseph is supposedly the father of Jesus because, as we know, his origin is elsewhere. And now we pause at that. What is the origin of Jesus? We understand all of a sudden Jesus is not the product of that movement of generations. Jesus is not the fruit of that movement of generations as if that is what gives us Jesus. Rather, Jesus is the reason for that movement of generations in the first place. If we say Adam is the son of God, what do we say about Jesus? Son of God. Note how interesting that is. The genealogy begins and ends with a son of God with one whose origin is in a certain way from heaven. But the origin of Jesus in a very different way because he is in all truth, the Son of God. And we see then that we trace now the generations in their goodness, in their wickedness, in their faithfulness and in their infidelity, in their health, and in their sickness, across the years, marveling at the fact that this is also the history of a nation in its goodness and in its wickedness, in its sickness and in its healthiness, in its faithfulness and in its unfaithfulness. And something about all of that is bookended by the activity of God. And yet St. Luke is not content to stop with the history of Israel. Rather, he says, Jesus Christ is not merely son of David, not merely, strange as it is to say, son of Abraham. He is the son of a movement of history that is older than Israel, that is older than Abraham that is vastly older than David. Looking beyond Israel, the genealogy continues. Abraham, the son of Terah. Because before Abraham was called, there's still a history. All the way through Noah, all the way back to Adam. And what is St. Luke showing us? He is not just son of Israel. He is in all truth, son of man, this one whom we name son of God. He is not just the fruit of Israel. He is the fruit of what God began when he decided to create the world and gave life to Adam. How remarkably and exquisitely beautiful is this? And now what do we see? that entire movement of history, not just the history of Israel, but the history of humanity, the history of the world, moves forward 
in its goodness and in its wickedness to a certain moment when Christ stands among us. As the fulfillment of the promises to Israel and the fulfillment of the promise to redeem Adam who had fallen. How remarkable that is. Son of man in this sense gathering the entire history of the world from Adam to that moment of his birth, Jesus stands as one of us. But he comes as well from outside. Jesus is not simply a product of that history. Jesus is not simply a product of that woundedness, not simply a product of that dialogue between faithfulness and unfaithfulness. He is that one who, in the fullness of time, comes to order all of that, the good and the ill, to the outcome that Almighty God has desired for this world. What a remarkable thing that is. Jesus is not so much son of Noah, son of Abraham, son of David, as if they give him his origin. Rather, Noah, and Abraham, and David, and all of these others receive their call and their giftedness because Christ will come into the world. He comes late in time, and so in time he is our younger brother. But he is the one for whom all of this exists, and he is in all truth truly our older brother. And in speaking that way, St. Luke highlights the marvelous truth that this Christ who stands within our own family has come to unite us to his family, to make each of us and all of us truly sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of that one who is truly Father. And it is good that we can reflect on this on the day before the great feast of the Epiphany. Because if the shepherds, in a very real way, are the first fruits of Israel, come to meet the Lord, the Magi, the kings, are the first fruits of the nations, come to meet the Lord. And note what the lesson of the physical setup of the Nativity teaches us. The history of Israel is moving towards somebody. And everything about its history is part of a movement toward Jesus. But likewise, the history of the world. The history of the world is not random. The history of the world is not the mere product of human decisions. The history of the world, likewise, is moving forward with a direction, a direction given by Jesus Christ. All of history, the history of all nations, of all cultures, of all mankind, has a directionality to it. And the focal point of that directionality has a name, and his name is Jesus. But likewise, when St. Luke gives us that example, of naming the figures of the generations of Jesus, he's also saying the history of your family and my family also has a directionality to it.
and its directionality needs to be toward the one whose coming we celebrate, toward Jesus. We get in trouble when we resist that direction. But the Lord comes into the world to order and call all things to himself. And that doesn't just mean all people alive right now. It means he will order all generations, all times, all seasons, all languages, all cultures, to draw them to himself. At once, from outside, and at the same time, from within. How absolutely wonderful that is. And the decisive figure in that listing of the generations of Jesus is not Abraham, it's not David, it's not Noah, it's not Adam. It's a young woman named Mary, the wife of Joseph. How wonderful that is. It's as if to say, that as God is preparing to create the world, he looks across the ages and events that he knows are to come and places at the heart of all of that Christ, his son. Before he sees Adam, before he sees Noah, before he sees David, before he sees Israel, before he sees the great number of nations, he sees that he will send his son. And in seeing that he will send his son, the second one that he sees is Mary. And the son will have a mother in time. His son will have a mother in time. And seeing that family, that holy family, the Lord sees everything else and orders all things to that wondrous moment. When, as we heard in our collect for today's Mass, when Our Lady will conceive the Son of God in her heart first and then in her womb. Not merely the physical means by which Christ comes into the world, but that one whose faith and surrender to the movement and the plan of God is the means by which he comes to us. And note, in that act of surrender, in that act of conceiving him in her heart, the Lord begins the healing of all of our families, the woundedness of the world, the woundedness of all of our history, not merely our national and cultural history, but the woundedness of our family histories as well. How exquisitely beautiful that is. And when we recognize it, as our collect continues, we can recognize too that we can have the Lord alive within us by faith. And by faith, living in harmony with the Lord who orders all things to himself and in himself much like Our Lady, we can show him forth to the nations of the world, not by physically holding him in our arms, 
but by the good deeds, the kind words, and the mercy that we show in his name. What a remarkably beautiful gift that is. The Lord, who shows his face to humanity, continues to do so through us. And what a beautiful gift it is to reflect on that here. When that one, that one according to whom all times and seasons are ordered, will be here with us. And note what we do. He will be here on this altar. And in my hands and the hands of the deacon, he will come down off this altar. And what will we do? Much like the figures represent in this nativity set, it matters not what culture, what race, what language is ours. We will rise as one. And much like the ages of history, we will move forward, not randomly, not chaotically, but with a direction. We'll move to him. Note how beautiful that is. And note what it expresses. Not just we who happen to be here today moving in harmony, good as that is, but this also symbolizes the generations of man moving together toward him. The striving of man, the longings of the world, moving together to him. When we resist that movement, we introduce chaos. But when we recognize it, when we hear that call, we move forward to him. And we'll set our eyes on the consecrated host and hear those words, the body of Christ. And this is the Lord showing himself to you and to me, but it is also the Lord showing himself to your nation, to your race, to your language, and to your culture, not in general, but precisely because he's showing himself to you. How absolutely wonderful this is. What a great gift that the Lord has given us here. Let us ask for that great grace to allow him to continue putting into good order around himself all of the disparate and separate aspects of our life and our history, because only in him do all of these things come to a glorious fulfillment and completion. Amen.